Welcome to episode 869 of The Sleeper in the Bust. I'm Justin Mason, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing. I am. Uh, I had my final workout this morning. I am playing quarterback for the Denver Broncos today, since they had all four quarterbacks on the roster uh, <laughs> go down with COVID-related. Uh, mm-hmm. I think somebody tested positive, and the other three were contact tracing because they didn't wear a mask. So I am playing quarterback for the Broncos today. So wish me luck. Saints defense, I'm coming for you. <laughs> I mean, I, like you know, we don't talk inside of football or anything on this. Uh, I purposefully did not cover football this season, uh, and I am not playing in any big money leagues. Like it's just, um, I'm absolutely the only like real money I'm putting on uh, football this year is in my three sport leagues, uh, nice. which are which are going well, but. Uh, I was so afraid that the season wouldn't happen, and it has, you know, it's been a shit show worse than baseball's was. And, and then this morning, Adam Schefter's like, hey, notice by, you know, we have, the NFL has not, there was some ridiculous tweet uh, about, hey, uh, it's been, we're at week 12, and the NFL hasn't canceled any games. We're like, okay, but they've rescheduled everybody. You've got a fifth-string quarterback who was a wide receiver in college playing quarterback and is starting starting an NFL game today that's that's where that's where we're at so it's like yeah you, well, you've it, got this far but it's not it hasn't been pretty has San Francisco <laughs> figured out where they're gonna play today I think they're playing in Oakland okay no uh, they're on the road they're on the road uh today and tomorrow the next two weeks Oh, I think they have weeks. to. Well, I think yeah, they have Santa, to. Maybe they're going to play in Oakland. Santa Clara has told them they are not allowed to play in Correct. their home park. No. So, and it goes for any sport. No contact practice. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, they. Uh, yikes! Um, you know, somebody is. I was talking to somebody quickly getting this back to baseball. Uh, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were like, "Hey, is spring training going to start on time?" I'm like, "Unlikely." Yeah, I don't see it happening. Uh, so we may have to, you know, go back, go back a few weeks. I don't, I still don't, I'm pretty pessimistic. We get 162 game season. Um, oh, I, I don't think we get even close to 162. Yeah. It's, it's going to be, I don't even know if we get 150 game season, yeah. but we may be like a minor league, like the 144 game season. Oh, I'd, uh, I'd be stoked on 144 games. I think we're going to get, uh, closer to 120. Wow. Yeah. Um, Anything's and, better than 60. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's twice the amount of games. So uh, that would be awesome. And hopefully, you know, vaccines and stuff can be introduced. And, you know, I mean, baseball players are the first ones to get the vaccines. Uh, of course they will. That's what's important. But, um, uh, but yeah, I just, I, I have a hard time believing. And that's why, like, one of the things, you know, this wasn't on the rundown for today or anything, but uh, a lot of people saying, well, you know, the central teams really benefited you know, from being able to play the other central teams. Like, what makes us think that that's going to change? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know that in 2021, at least to start, that that is going to be any different. Um, and, you know, the owners don't want to play, many, like, more games if there aren't fans. So I think there's going to be another battle. I mean, after battle. all, the Phillies lost $2 billion last year, if you are if you were to believe yeah. reports. Yeah, they, they've reported uh, $2 billion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, which yeah, that that was a rather let's see, the exact quote. 
See, I'm told in an organizational meeting last week, Philly's managing partner John Middleton told his baseball people that the club lost nearly $2 billion this year and is not in a position to re-sign Real Muto or any other big-ticket free agents. So can we just, like, we'll just stop saying LOL Mets and just say LOL Phils because, you know, yeah. here, here are the Mets where Steve Cohen is, is retroactively reinstating people's pay all the way down to – due to take care of the concessions, like the entire thing, and then the Phillies are out here claiming they lost $2 billion this year. Oh, man. I mean, Mets fans, I hope you guys are really, really excited for what Stephen Cohen is going to do because um, he is like going to completely turn around just the culture of that franchise. Uh, he just seems like he's he really understands what it takes to like bring the fan base back and... Uh, and and really turn it around from being a laughing stock of an organization, you know, the LOL Mets. To uh, I think the Mets are going to be a powerhouse at some point. No, I've I've had them in the World Series each of the last two years <laughs> on paper. So like, and this year I've got I got to keep riding the train. I really do because you look you look at even what they have on paper right now. I'm like, hey, this is intriguing. And then if they go out and spend and and add to it, you can't help but get excited. Yeah, I I mean, there are going to be some teams that really benefit from this weird offseason, the way it's going to be, because I think there are going to be some teams that just go, we're going to spend, we're just going to, we're going to buy up all the talent that nobody else seems to be willing to pay for. Uh, and then there are, of course, going to be teams like the Phillies um, that that kind of cry poor and, uh, and don't get anything. So I think it'll be a really interesting uh, off season for for certain teams. Uh, I'm hoping my team is one of those teams, uh, but we will sh we shall see. Let's talk about notable transactions. There really there really hasn't been any um, since Paul and I last recorded on Tuesday. Uh, the only thing of note is Jeff Hoffman was traded uh, from Colorado to Cincinnati in a four player deal that sent Robert Stevenson over to uh, Colorado. Uh, I think you're a little excited about Hoffman going to uh, uh, Cincinnati, so why don't you talk on him? Yeah, or as the cool kids like to call it, Spincinnati. Yeah, and this is where it, this is where it comes in for Hoffman because he's he's one of these high spin fastball types of dudes. If you've watched him pitch, you know he's got a good curveball as well, but he has struggled to pitch in course field. Get him out of course. Get him over to Cincinnati. Get him with the Cincinnati pitching coach. Get him with Kyle Body and, and driveline and, and work getting back the curveball stuff and taking on. I mean, this went from this went from a guy you're like, yeah, whatever. He's in Colorado. You leave Colorado, you're like, ooh, now this gets really interesting. So this he went from not even draftable to end game material, depending on the size of your league or reserve round to see what they're able to do with him. Uh, but I've, you know, I've watched him pitch on the road and you're like, man, that looks really good. Mm -hmm. And then he goes home and you're like, oh yeah, that. So I'm, I, I like this move. I really do like this move for him. Yeah, I, I do as well. And I mean, <laughs> the, the road home splits last year, pretty drastic. Oh, bad, dude. <laughs> uh, he had a 466 ERA on the road and a 13-11 ERA at home. Uh, so, I mean, like you're talking about, just the pitches do not play well in Colorado for him. So getting him over to Cincinnati, gets to work with those driveline guys. I mean, this is a former first-round pick. He was taken number ninth overall uh, in the 2014 draft. So, And 
you know, he's going to be 28, so he's not a prospect or anything like that. Been in the league for a few years, but uh, I think you know, he's probably not going to factor into the rotation for Cincinnati, considering what they have. But uh, he could be a long man. He could be the the 2021 uh, uh, Tyler Molly kind of uh, play. Exactly. Exactly. And I again get back. Go watch some of the. Go watch some of the video. Go to a Savant page. Watch some random video. Check it out. But you know, there's there's a reason why you can see how some of the stuff plays up. And just being able to get out of cores and be able to use that curveball uh, and, and and neutral. I I don't even know what his home road splits are by pitch utilization. Mm-hmm. That would be very like I'm I'm trying to look here. Uh, nah, it doesn't let me on this page to split it out to say, hey, I want I want home and road. Um, I don't see a way of doing it month game. Yeah, I can't do that. But yeah, you know, last last year they dialed back his curveball usage. I mean, I, he didn't pitch, didn't throw that much last year. Uh, but his his curveball became his tertiary pitch, which all whereas the year before it was a secondary pitch. But they had him throwing a lot more changeups last year, like from eleven percent to twenty seven percent. Uh, on his changeups, and uh, I think maybe it was just like, "Hey, dude, your curveball's just not going to work here." So let's uh, let's let's try to use something else. Yeah, uh, I think he's you know, I mean, obviously in most leagues he's not draftable. If you want to spend your last round pick on him in a fifty round draft and hold or best ball something like that, he could be interesting. So that 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 is kind of where that lies. Uh, hey, you want to look at uh, similar pitchers? I always like this little part of, of the Savant page. Similar pitchers to Hoffman based on velocity and movement in 2019, because, you know, 20 is all too s- small sample size. 2019, Aaron Nola, Jake Odorizzi, Aaron Sanchez, Miles Mikolas, and Tyler Beatty. Uh, I like some of those pitchers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that. Um, all right. I'm I'm gonna draft and hold right now, so maybe he will be my last round pick. Uh, though I'm sure half my league listens, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna talk about ADP gainers and ADP losers. Uh, kind of compare where they've been going in NFBC drafts. Pretty much comparing October to November, so kind of seeing uh, where the movement is there. And I'll have an article on the site uh, here uh, probably tomorrow, kind of talking about some of the big ADP gainers uh, for uh, for the last month. Uh, and why don't we go ahead and we'll start with uh, Craig Kimbrell. Uh, I think this is largely due to just the craziness that is the closer pool right now. Uh, and if anybody has done an early draft, there's so much unsettled. We have so many guys who are free agents. Uh, we don't know who's going to be the closers in a lot of situations that the guys that seem to have a lockdown spot are just going early and fast. Uh, Craig Kimball has gone up 61 spots from 295 to 233. What are your thoughts on Craig Kimball? So I'm wondering if how much bias flows into play only because, you know, Baseball HQ put out their PDF version uh, of the forecaster this week. Uh, and I, I saw an interesting tweet from Ryan Bloomfield about four days ago. He said this was the tweet. Craig Kimball gave up seven earned runs in his first five uh, appearances last year. His ERA his, his earned runs by game the rest of the season. Zero, 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 two, zero, 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 zero. 
So it's like that comes into play. And I'm so I'm I'm doing roughly 150 of the player capsules for Rotowire. So I'm going to read you what I put for Craig Kimbrell uh, as I did his. And I said the Cubs gave him a, th- a, thir- a three-year, $43 million in 19. So far, the return on investment of that purchase has been horrendous. Um, he worked 36 innings over two seasons, allowing 59 base runners, 11 home runs, blowing four saves and losing five games. Um, yet he still gets the strikeouts. He struck out 58 in 36 innings. Uh, you know, when you look at him, the Kimbrel experience these days, he flashes moments of a former dominant, uh, former dominant closer, where he can still put away hitters with the best of them. Other times, he's falling behind hitters, and his fastball cannot get him out of every jam. League hit 206 off his fastball, 143 off his curveball in 2020. Um, but you know, he, he's basically the rest of it is like he's he's pitching from behind in so many counts. You can't draft him as a C as a closer one anymore, and even a closer two is pushing it because. With in a final, this is the final year of his deal, and if he comes back and can't find the plate anywhere, you know they could write it off and say, "All right, I'm done, move on, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 go from there." So that's where it's like that. It's a it's a high risk, high reward thing. You look at where he is, where his ADP, you know, where he has now him moving up as much as he has. Uh, okay, I guess. Uh, but with ev- with everything else, I, I can see it because you said you know closer's a mess. It's an absolute mess this year, uh, and that's you know that's what we're dealing with. But you know there 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 are things to like here, but there are also things to say, man, there is there are too many red flags here. But then again, in the 200, 233, that's if everything breaks right, that's still a tremendous bargain. Yeah, I I tend to want to agree with you. The only thing with Kimbrel is I think this is a format dependent player. And so in you know, typically, you know, when we're looking at closers, we're looking at guys that have either secured we feel pretty secure about their job moving, you know, throughout the season. Uh, and those are the guys we want to tend to try to pop on, or we're or we're targeting guys who we think we can uh, can grab the job, maybe in an unsettled situation later on. Kimbrel's one of those guys where I feel really confident he will start with a job. I don't feel that confident he is going to end with the job, um, and so in a league where like if you're playing in a league with Fab. Kimbrel's not a bad price because when he does lose his job, which I thoroughly expect him to lose at some point, uh, you can go and get the next guy and you're not paying a huge price for him, but you can get those early season saves and, and hope to kind of bank some of them. But if you're playing like in a draft and hold, you know, there, there's no going and getting the next guy unless you're going to just completely invest in the Chicago bullpen, which I would highly recommend you don't do. Exactly. <laughs> so unless they go out and buy someone off the market, I just don't see them doing that. They seem to be one of these teams that are crying poor. Again, a ridiculous uh, <laughs> argument. Um, but it does not seem like they are going to be in the market for any sort of high-priced relievers or high-priced players to begin with. Um, and if anything, they may try to jettison as much uh, jettison as much money off their team as humanly possible. So... They're getting, they're getting their tax breaks because Wrigley Field is now a historical landmark, and so they can get their tax breaks. But uh, as as Tom Ricketts said, they cannot they they cannot pass those along to the team payroll. Like, <laughs> is it a can't? Is it a won't? No, nah, it's a yeah. won't. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, 
Um, I just love I just love when people cry poor. Yeah. That have so much ridiculous amount of cash. Oh god. All right, let's move on to the next guy and this is uh, part of our uh, raise corner for the day. Manny Margot has gone up from 287 to 247. That is a 40 pick jump. I'm sure part of that will uh, is due to kind of his performance uh, and being seen in the postseason in the World Series. Uh, also, I think what may come into play here is the Rays have said that they are looking at treating Kevin Kiermaier, uh, which would hopefully give Margot a more full-time role in that team. Are you buying in on this jump for Manny Margot? Yeah, and that's and that's where I think this ultimately comes into play because with all the talk about them listening on Snell, the easiest way to save money <clears throat> would be to move Kiermaier. I mean, he's due 11-7 this year, then 12-2, and then there's a player option of thir- or a, a club option of 13 of 13 million uh, in 2023. And you know, center fielders of that by that time he'll be 34 years old. Uh, I mean, he's already he'll be 31 at the start of this season. So, you know, we know what le- what happens to the legs of those guys. And so that's where I could see them saving money. I thought also some of this is, is around the fact that, you know, Hunter Renfro's at-bats are now available because he's no longer on the roster. Uh, maybe some people were like, okay, Rosarena's in trouble. He's going to miss a ton of time. Uh, and Mexico is not charging him with anything. Doesn't mean MLB is off the hook. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if perhaps if a Rosarena threw at his father-in-law's head with a baseball or drove drunk, maybe MLB would look the other way. But because he didn't do any of those egregious crimes, uh, he is. Uh, they'll probably do something with him. Uh, so, do you really think Marco, so, though? Because yes, I mean, I, I think they. I think Miguel Sano ran someone over, and they didn't do anything to him. Who did? Miguel Sano. Oh, that's true. Yeah, maybe so. they don't. Uh, but so, you know, that's where I could see them doing something. But Margot's season, you know, even in the 60-gamer, it was so weird because July and August was pretty much nothing. Uh, but then again, you you may recall that he lost his father uh, to COVID. He went down to Dominican Republic. Then he came back. And then he just got hot. In September, he was stealing bases like nobody's business. And you look at his month-by-month splits, and it was uh, you know night and day. And you have to, you would have to figure that stuff was wearing on him. Uh, but he was. You go back and look at how the splits were happening. He was one of the guys that was just running, uh, and everybody else you know, they were trying some things out. And that was one of the things that got missing in the uh, went missing in. The, the postseason is the club just didn't run as much uh, as they had in September. So I'm intrigued. I mean, you look at you look at the the tools and what he has, you know, what he can do defensively. I think he struggled a little bit. I was a little disappointed in his defense. I mean, he came over with better credentials than that. If you, even if you look at his uh, ratings, I mean, outs above average, top 20th percentile, jump top uh, top six percentile. Uh, but that's not what the eye test gave me this year. Uh, on him, I, I'm not convinced he's an everyday guy. If he is, that's guy actually pulled down his numbers because he really doesn't look that great against right-handed at bats, uh, pitching rather. So uh, he really tends to maximize his abilities against lefties, and he they did give him pretty much run as much as you want uh, in September, and he's good at it. That's one of the things he did really well was steal those bases. So if they were to trade Kiermaier, and I don't even know an audience like who like and, who wants him. Yeah, who's going to spend eleven million dollars on a thirty-four-year-old? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, he's you're spending. He's thirty-one, so you're looking at oh, okay, thirty-one. Yeah, he's thirty-one, but he'll be thirty-four. So you're looking at okay, if you pay him, you're paying 
you know, you're buying 30, you know, $24 million basically for age 31, 32. And then you can say, okay, I'll stick around and pick up your option for, so it's, it's still controllable cost if he can play defense at that, at that level and stay healthy, uh, yeah. which we know has been, has been an issue for him. Uh, yeah. I was trying to figure out like, okay, who can we, you know, as we look at how are we doing outfield wise on, on team defense, who is it, who's one of those, who are some of those teams that are struggling as far as um, you know, converting outs in the outfield, and I'm I'm drawing a blank on who are the obvious. Oh, this team's so bad. Uh, at the this. obvious and answer is the one I hate, though. It, Your it, team? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> look, look, who who likes aging players that get hurt and you know can can roam that large outfield at San Francisco? So uh, I hope it's not the case. I don't want like as much as my wife would love Kevin Kiermaier because she thinks he's really cute. Um, I the eyes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I want nothing to do with Kevin Kiermaier in in the San Francisco outfield. Um, well, maybe the obvious is Seattle because, you know, those guys love to make trades with one another. Yeah, I just, I mean, they've got so much outfield talent coming up. I just can't imagine that that's, that's, that's something you want to do. Um, oh, I agree. I, and I think that's <laughs> the hard part. Like, the hard part is where do you put Kevin Kiermeyer to open up more uh, at-bats for Manny Margot? And I just don't know that you can do it. I don't mind this ADP, 247. I think there's a ton of upside, especially with the stolen bases. Uh, yeah. Again, I mean, this was like a former, what, like top 25 prospect yep. at one point. Uh, has been traded a few times. Uh, and then while some people say, well, you know, teams don't want him. Well, obviously teams are trading for him, so some teams do. Um, so he's, I'm, been tra- he's been dealt twice. Yep. So I, I like Manny Margot, and with even with Kiermaier there. Three times, though. Wait, three. He was, Didn't he go, was he? He was drafted he went, by the Phillies. Oh, was oh, he? no, Boston. Yeah, he went I Boston, Boston, San Diego. San Diego and Tampa Bay at a minimum. I had the Phillies in my head for some reason mm-hmm. somewhere in that play. Yeah, no, he went Bo- He went Boston to San Diego uh, to Tampa Bay. Um, okay. But I, even with Kiermaier still on the roster, which I expect he will be, uh, Kiermaier's health history will eventually pop into play, especially if we're talking about a longer season uh, than 60 games. So I think Margot's going to get plenty at-bats. Uh, and the ability to steal, you know, close to 20 bases. I mean, he could be a 10-20 guy. Sure. All right, let's uh, let's move on to kind of a, a baffling one that I don't necessarily understand. I don't know if you understand why Kirby Yates is uh, moving up, uh, but he is, uh, and he's gone up 30 spots in the last month from 216 to 186. What are your thoughts on Kirby Yates? I mean, who who wouldn't want to chase a free agent coming off elbow surgery, <laughs> right? Not not what I wanted. To, I, this this has got to be like name value, right? You would you would think. I mean, when you when you look at him, obviously the numbers are very intriguing with with what he's able, what he has been, what he's done in the past, and so that's that drives a lot of of what he has. You're like, okay, yeah, he can get the strikeouts and whatnot, but he is a two-pitch pitcher. We know this. He is fastball splitter. That's it. Uh, and But the splitter is really good, and we know what he can do with the with the spin on the fastball. But it's it's like I always like using him as a story because, like, like he's pitched everywhere. He was in the, the Yankees organization. He's been with the Yankees, the Rays, the Angels. Uh, I'm missing a team in this. 
But the dude has pitched. The guy has been in multiple organizations. He keeps getting DFA'd. And then he goes to San Diego, and they're like, oh, yeah, that splitter that you were throwing with the Angels? Keep doing more of it. Yeah, Rays, Yankees. Rays, Yankees. Um, Angels, Padres. That's it. Angels. And then he was working. He picked up the splitter in playing in the Yankees bullpen, mm-hmm. was trying it with the Angels, Made one, pitched in one game in the first week of 2017. They DFA'd him. And, they, and then San Diego picked him up, and then like he went nuts uh, throwing all the splitter. And then we saw what he did and what he's been able to do since. And then last, you know, 19 had the closer role, was amazing, uh, 40 saves, 100 strikeouts. And then last year came down with the bulky elbow. It turns out he had bone chips in his elbow, and he had that taken out. Uh, now, you can understand how that's going to disrupt a guy, especially a guy that leans on the splitter. Uh, and so – what I'm curious about is like he had to miss when you have that surgery. Like he, even if San Diego had gone uh, into the World Series, it was it didn't look like Yates was going to be able to pitch, uh, even if he came back for that. So like he has been out, and now he comes back in, and it's like this is really where it hurts him because we're talking about a guy that's 34 years old. Uh, by the, at the end of March, he turns 34. 34, coming off a pretty major elbow surgery, not Tommy John, but still elbow surgery. Uh, and as a two-pitch dude, uh, and, and and velocity has been, you know, velocity is not his strong suit. So it's like, oh, can he keep flinging up splitters? And that's how he's going to get. That's how he's going to end up getting his results. So I mean, at, at an elite level, I mean, again, we're talking about a guy who was has struck out thirty-eight percent, thirty-six percent, forty-two percent, even last year, but in a little bit of time, still had thirty-two percent strikeout rate. Uh, and then you know the the strikeout minus walk rate elite all that stuff is elite and then last year got hurt so can he bounce back to the elite sure uh, is the arm 100% healthy that's where we get into that's where we look at it and say hey but what has happened in the last month for him to jump up 30 spots other than the closer situation is just a glob I I don't know what you want to <laughs> I don't know what else is driving this I haven't seen anything that's like okay I'm on board. Yeah, I I mean, it's got to be name value. And it, it may just be kind of a reaction to what I was talking about with Kimbrel, which is it the closing situation in fantasy in early drafts is a mess this year. Um, and there are just so many question marks after you get past the you know top six or seven guys uh, that you are kind of just throwing darts and maybe people, you know, some people have decided this is the dart they're going to throw. He's gone as early as 131. No, 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 no. No hard pass on that. Wow. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I just, I can't, I can't pull that's, the trigger. That's there. that's like really, uh, that's really aggressive. I'm yeah. sorry. I mean, because you look around, if you look at the ADP and look around who, you know, yeah, he's I'm, going I'm right behind I'm, Chris I'm Bassett. To time here, but he's, he's, like, going, he's going behind Chris Bassett. Um, Rafael I'm looking Monta. at relievers. I'm looking okay. like if you're drafting him, I, I I tend to first start looking at relievers to say, okay, where, you know, what else is here? And like, there's a gap. Like Nick Anderson is at 150, and then I'm scrolling, and Trevor Trevor Rosenthal's 160. And then Yates is 191. And then the next guy after Yates is Jordan Romano at 216, who may have the job today, but we mm-hmm. don't know if he's going to have the job I after this offseason shakes out. Yeah, um, I doubt. I mean, it seems like the Blue Jays are one of those buyer teams. 
Right. Um, Matt so. Barnes, 232. So it's like in the context of Matt where Barnes. he's... Yeah, I mean, but in the context of where he's being drafted, okay. If, if that's if you're going down a list and say, okay, that guy's on, that guy's gone, that guy's gone. Um, you know, the aforementioned Kimbrell at 243. Uh, Will Smith, 254. So, like, I, I, I kind of get it. But you really have to be well, banking on that on that rebound on a, on a really uh, high level of rebound. If you're gonna bank on a or you're gonna you're gonna pick a free agent reliever that could be a closer like Mark Melanson at two forty four seems like a way better bet. Yeah, there's your guy that Toronto could sign. Yeah, and then... I mean that <laughs> he's gonna likely close for somebody. So I mean I just I can't imagine yeah I can't imagine taking a uh, pick on on Kirby Yates where he's going right now. All right, let's talk about uh, Dylan Moore, uh, who is uh, the player who's got the highest ADP um, in terms of uh, the the guys who are gaining. Um, He's gone up 25 spots from 136 to 111. A lot of hype, dual eligible at second base and outfield. What are your thoughts on Dylan Moore? You You know what's driving his value, right? I mean, just the the crazy numbers he put up in in few plate appearances. Uh, between that and, and there was probably an Orlando based league because Dylan Moore went to what university? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh God! Everything that, comes back to that. That's what's really pushing up the guy's value. Everybody's yeah. like, "Oh my God, he went to UCF. He must be amazing." Like everybody else who comes from UCF. Mm, so yeah. that's what's really pushing up his value. I but, really wish I had gone to USF. <laughs> just so we could have some sort of rivalry on the podcast right yeah i mean he the you're talking about a guy who's going to play every every day as long as he can stay healthy and that's what ran into him last year uh you know and he showed you know the rookie year obviously a lot of struggles but he was still he still ran and then last year hit, hit showed showed power showed more you know didn't strike out as much and was running even more and so you have to wonder how that's going to play out in a in a larger season I don't even want to say full season now, getting back to what we were talking about earlier. But in a larger season, clearly he has the tools to get stuff done. Uh, and that's where a situation where a club's rebuilding. You don't have to worry about him being taken in and out of the lineup. This is somebody they want to build around uh, as they try to see what they've got. And at 28, the, you know, their window to play with him uh, is, you know, this is the peak window. And let him, let him ride. So I'm... You know, all the UCF jokes aside, I get why you want to take a guy like this with dual eligibility and the and the and the potential to go fifteen fifteen, maybe even twenty twenty, isn't is very intriguing. I mean, this is a guy that Paul and I have kind of gone back and forth on, and he's super high on him, uh, and I am very cautious. Uh, I mean, the nice thing is he is on the Mariners, where he should play every day, at least initially. I do worry about him eventually becoming a platoon guy. Um, it's a pretty massive split. I mean, a 26 drafts from a high of 45. Hello, yeah, UCF. Yeah, some, uh, somebody. A from drop of 180. I mm-hmm. mean, that is that is a crazy, crazy, crazy spam. But the, the, the 45 is a... Is a wow because like he's got the highest high. Like I'm scrolling, I'm still trying to find somebody who's got a higher high than him. Uh, here we go. Michael Conforto, it's at who's got an ADP of 80, also has a high of 45, 
And then we have to go all the way back down to 117 at Dylan Moore to find another guy who's got a high of 45. Yeah. I, I just can't take him where he's going with the other guys that are around him. I mean, Eddie Rosario uh, going at 113. Tommy Pham, who, uh, I mean, can do everything that the upside of Dylan Moore uh, can bring on a better team, so more run scored, RBI potential, uh, going 114. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton, if you want to believe in in uh, him uh, staying healthy one of these days, 115. Byron Buxton, I mean, similar type player to Moore, um, 119 or 120. Alex Verdugo, 126. Like I just can't. Carlos Correa, 130. I mean, so here's and here's the thing though I, I think that if, if people are taking Dylan Moore and driving this up they're not taking him as the outfield eligibility they're taking him at second base right, and so second I think, base let's, is let's, super deep but yeah but let's look at where let's look at where he is right now so right now at second base he's 11th overall just behind uh in front three in front of him are Muncie McNeil and Altuve Altuve is the only straight second baseman and everybody else has got multiple eligibility there as well but behind him Jonathan Villar and is, is it the VR that was great in Miami or the one that was terrible in Toronto? And um, where, where is he playing? I mean, where is that, he going to play? Uh, Mike Moustakas still has second base eligibility. Tommy Edmond, Jake Cronenworth. Which Jake Cronenworth are you going to have? Nick Solak, Nick Madrigal. I mean, those are the names behind him. So it's like when I look at it in, in second base only, I, I feel better about it. But in the outfield, like as you named all those, I'm like just about every one of those. I'd take just about everybody else that you had mentioned there. But in the second base, with the I'm like, okay, I, I I feel better about it in that direction. Yeah, I mean, I I think I think I'd rather have Cronenworth. I think I'd rather have Edmund. Uh, Solak, I think, is kind of the guy I start really debating. Um. So, but then we're also talking about you know sixty picks difference between him and Solak. So like I this jump to 111 seems absolutely insane, and it is only 22 drafts. So I mean things are gonna continue to move pretty wildly uh, here, uh, but still I'm just I'm just not <laughs> I, don't, I don't I don't think I'm in at this price on, on Dylan Moore, unfortunately. It's it's high. Uh, I'm definitely not in at the 45 uh, <laughs> price. Uh, let's talk about Dalton Varsho, a former top prospect. Um, or well, is I don't think he is a prospect or considered a prospect anymore. But uh, top prospect, uh, the catcher prospect that really gains a lot of his value in the same way um, that Aaron Nola gained value last year in terms of he he can be catcher eligible but play a lot of other positions, and so he's going to get uh, a lot more plate appearances hopefully than most catchers. Uh, what are your thoughts on Varsho? Is he a guy you're targeting? He's gone up 25 spots from. 211 to 186. It's, I mean, it's interesting. When you look, when you take a look at what he's been able to do, uh, when you take a look at what he's done uh, through his professional career uh, and how he's been able to get it, you know, with, had, had, didn't get the opportunity to play in AAA, uh, but he did advance through a low A rookie ball, high A, double A, and then got to the majors this year and you know at this level it's like okay yeah 
He had, you look at the level, you're like, fine. Okay, he struck out almost uh, 30% of the time, 188, blah. But then you go back and look at what he was able to do in the minor leagues, especially at, at the age and be able to, what he did in double A, just a 9% walk rate, 14% strikeout rate. It's like the the 29%, It's that's not a surprise. The, the issues that he had with contact last year at the major league level is what you would expect for a guy that makes the jump from double A to major league uh, and is, is used to seeing guys working on pitches to guys that can actually throw those pitches. And so none of that surprises me. But you look at what his, what his where his pedigree comes from uh, and what he's done in the minor league, and it doesn't surprise me to say, hey, let's take the dart throw and see what we've got here uh, on him. So it's, it's like... One of these guys you definitely want to look at and just throw the minor, the, the throw last year's numbers out the window. It's like put them in context and look and see this is what was going on. Uh, and if you if you can find the catcher, if you can find somebody, he's going to have. Now, when you look at eligibility, are they going to? You said he's getting catcher eligibility, catcher and outfield. All right, because that's that was one of the things I know you and I talked a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. Uh, in, in I think most it was JD Martinez. Formats. It was Martinez. The way Martinez's games played worked out, he didn't qualify in the outfield. Mm-hmm. He's utility only because we were looking at saying, okay, he has seven games here. Like, how is it being used? But apparently, uh, NFBC they're only considering Martinez uh, utility only. So that's why I was a little curious on Varsho. Is it like okay, he started six games at catcher and he he had ten games overall? But I just wanted to make sure he was uh, there. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's offensive upside with a catcher. Sure thing. So it, for people who are playing in, I mean, I'm in a lot of different leagues as always, uh, but uh, I put out an article recently, I think sometime last week, uh, kind of highlighting what in what leagues you're going to have what eligibility. So I kind of broke it down by uh, leagues that are going to still use the 20 games played, then 10 games played, 8 games played, 7 games played, and then 5 games played. So you can go over on the site and kind of check. Varsho is uh, catcher eligible in virtually every format except for the ones that are still going to use 20 games played. So if you're in a home league that is sticking to your traditional format in spite of what happened in 2020, uh, he will only be outfield eligible. That He's being so said, mad. yeah. That that being said, most leagues are going to have him with catcher eligibility. Uh, I mean. This Varsho's an interesting guy because in redraft leagues, I think I would target him a little bit because I do believe that he's going to be able to hit. In dynasty leagues, I'm selling the hell out of him. Um, I have, you know, uh, I've mentioned, I think this on the pod before, I've got a source within the organization uh, in Arizona that uh, said Varsho. Uh, the only person that believes Dalton Varsho is a catcher at the major league level is the general manager. Hmm. Um, and that includes like the entire coaching staff and a lot of the players that played with him uh, in the in the minors. So uh, I think eventually he's going to lose this catcher eligibility long term, but he's got it for 2020. Right. Um, and, and he's going in front of Gary Sanchez now. What? No. Yes. Dalton Varsho, 191. Gary okay, Sanchez, 199. You I, know why? Because Dalton Varsho, somebody took him as high as 31. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, there, there's... there. Yeah, that is insane. Um, holy crap. <laughs> Maybe hit your source inside. <laughs> oh, my God. That is awesome. That, I mean, that's 
absolutely insane. Uh, I'm but not that, taking him over Gary Sanchez. That feels like somebody's. Uh, I mean, he's now a top ten catcher because of it. This is. <laughs> oh, I wish I had been in that draft. That's <laughs> absolutely. I did not notice that. Oh I just noticed God. it. I was like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, here's. I mean, that is obviously changing his ADP quite a bit because um, he's going over. Gary Sanchez, James McCann, Mitch Garver, uh, Jorge Alfaro. Um, he shouldn't be going over those guys. Uh, I mean, I assume wherever James McCann lands, he's going to have more playing time than he has the last couple years in Chicago. Uh, Mitch Garver, well, I wasn't a fan coming into last year. The price is, is definitely worth buying. Uh, and I, I always like Jorge Alfaro. Um, yeah, I, yeah, he's he's not going to stay at this price. So <laughs> when we talk about this, maybe in like two weeks, he's going to be the like the biggest loser in terms of ADP or something like that. Um, God, that's crazy. I mean, you know, this is uh, you see these weird numbers every once in a while. I mean, he's got a he's got a a, a better min pick than Sal Perez and Will Smith. The only the only player. That has a lower min pick at catcher is JT Ramuto. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh man. And I mean these are all money leagues. Like this is, you know. Um, so we're we're not talking about and like you don't some... have a way, there's not a way to go in and say, hey, show me the that's what I love about the work that Smata does. So it's like, oh hey, in that particular in that particular uh TTFBI league, that's where that guy went. But I don't. I don't think we have an ability to see. I don't care who. Like I was, what is? It just feels like an auto pick for some reason. Like he was in the queue and it's like, oh damn it, I ran out of time. I mean, there's so few drafts that I could likely narrow it down to one, um, just by you know figuring out which date <laughs> this draft ended on. Um, I, I may try to do that because that's. Uh, I want to see what the rest of the, the other guy. Because like, is he is he the guy that? Um, took uh dylan moore 45th too <laughs> like is is that i don't i don't know if the numbers work out that way but um like that's i mean maybe it's just a guy who decided to do like an nfbc nfbc 50 after about 20 beers <laughs> i hope he's not listening <laughs> if you are tweet at me at justin mason fwfb and please explain <laughs> Your pick, and uh, you can tweet Jason at Jason Collette. So, um, all right, let's uh, let's move on to uh, the ADP losers. Uh, this one, this first one, isn't um, shocking. Uh, it's Gavin Lux, who has moved down about fifty spots from one sixty to two ten, uh, largely because it's it's hard to figure out if he's going to be a full time player coming into twenty twenty one. What are your thoughts on Gavin Lux? Yeah, that's the thing. It's in order to be productive, you have to play. And are the Dodgers? They don't. What? Why? Why are they going to cut Chris Taylor loose? That's. Just, I mean, that's Lux's spot. There's no reason unless Chris Taylor gets hurt. So, and banking on an insurance policy, it's easy to see why you would drop. I mean, Lux is great, and if they if they make the if they have the ability to throw a trade and, but what do the, you know, what do the defending world champs, uh, what yeah. do they, uh, what do they need? Uh, relief pitching. 
Is that? But you're not giving up somebody of that quality for a relief pitcher. Oh no, no. Um, so it's just like he's he's kind of he's kind of cursed with uh, great. I play I play for the defending world champs who have a rather productive veteran at my spot, and we're going to we're going to stay with them. Yeah, I just I don't know. Like, I mean, do the Dodgers really need anything of major value? <laughs> like, I just. Like where would I mean? I guess they could upgrade it in left field. I mean, we we assume Justin Turner's coming back and he's going to play third, right? So, um, I mean, I, I would assume he's going to come back on a one or two year deal to to the Dodgers. Uh, so, like the only main place they could really upgrade would be upgrade AJ Pollock's spot in left. Um, could I we see? I don't even know. Like, I mean, Taylor's a free agent after this season. Right? So you want and to keep Lux just so you have him. Yeah, I mean, in a, in a keeper league, yeah, because he's a free agent. After I'm just trying to walk through a scenario where the Dodgers trade Chris Taylor. I mean, he's only due he's only due six point seven million. Then it becomes a free agent. You're not gonna you're not gonna give him a qualifying offer. So it's it's a one year investment in a player. So that's very movable. If an organization, if somebody comes around, the Dodgers are like, hey, I like this reliever that you have. Uh, and you need you have a need at second base, and we have a guy, and he's not that expensive uh, for you. So that that could be an opportunity for them. So it's not it doesn't rule it out that Taylor couldn't be traded. But right now on paper, Lux had Lux's value is dropping because he doesn't have a clear path to 500 plate appearances. Yeah, or prorate that to a, whatever we're going to have for a season. But he doesn't have a, a, a path forward to 85. To eighty-five to ninety percent of the plate appearances at his position, and I mean, not to say that I'm like out on Lux. Like I, I actually, I've already drafted him in a league. Uh, I think I mentioned this during the second base discussion I had with Paul. Um, that like the place where I am really looking to take him is because second base is so deep. Is kind of as a a luxury pick when I already have a second base and a middle. Um. And you know you're just kind of betting on the upside in a draft and hold. Now in a, in a league where obviously uh, uh, you've got Fab and shorter benches, you can't really afford to do that. But that yeah. being said, like I think there's a ton of upside still here. Like I still believe in the talent. I think he will figure it out. Uh, I just don't know. At least starting off in 2021, that he's going to have like he could easily head back to the minors. Because he's got so much left to prove in the minors where he hit 392 in AAA in 2019. They're just too deep. And <laughs> if they want him to get everyday playing time, it's it's not going to happen in the majors. Unless he's like there's the an modern, injury. He's like the modern, day, uh, the modern day Mike Marshall. And I'm not talking about Mike Marshall, the pitcher. Uh, and this is, understand folks, this is just a statistical argument. But it's like when you go back and look at the... Um, the Mike Marshall in the minor leagues, if you can't pull it up, but like he was laying to waste Albuquerque laying to waste. Uh, and I'm trying to pull up the exact numbers on it because I mean, they were, they were incredibly perspective uh, impressive rather. Uh, but he was laying to waste that particular level uh, going back and looking at Mike Marshall, 19 show minors, uh, 1981. 34 home runs, 137 RBIs, hit 373, 445, 675 in the PCL back in the heyday of the PCLs. Like he was laying to waste that league and he could not crack the 
81 Dodgers roster who won the World Series because a guy named Steve Garvey was there. Hmm. Yeah, I, I had no idea who Mike Marshall was, so this I, this is a little <laughs> bit of a history lesson for me. <laughs> I remember because you know collecting all the baseball cards in the in the eighties. You're like, wow! I, I remember having his Fleer card and looking at those numbers, going, "Oh my god! Like, why can't he come up?" And then he finally did make the Dodgers as an outfielder, uh, and he at you know outfielder some first base in like his his heyday year. Uh, you know, it was an all-star in 84, but in 85, 28 home runs, 293, slug 515. I mean, those were huge numbers for the for 1985. Yeah, you know, was even it was a 14th place in the MVP ballot uh, that year. But, you know, it's like it took time for him to get there because, you know, they had seen Garvey playing first base. And then when Garvey went to San Diego, that's what freed up uh, Mike Marshall's spot on the roster. I was uh, one in 1985. <laughs> I was 13. <laughs> Awkward. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I do, I mean, I think if the price continues drop for Lux, I will get him on a number of teams uh, just on the upside. But it, right now it's got to be draft and hold, best ball leagues, uh, places where you're not having to set a lineup and you're just kind of waiting uh, or, or, or do fab and just kind of waiting for the time in which you can throw him in your lineup or obviously in best ball he gets put in your lineup because he finally got a spot. I mean, while that is a stacked team in, in L.A., uh, injuries happen, and injuries have happened to them quite a bit. So I, I think there will be an avenue at some point for him to get playing time. I just, in a, in a standard league, especially if you're talking about 10, 12-team leagues, like the, you just can't draft him uh, and then hold him. Unless you've, uh, well, I guess, I don't even think he's uh, um, minor league eligible, so, you know, in, in most formats, so... Yeah, I don't think he is either. All right, let's go ahead and uh, talk about uh, Shohei Otani, um, who is another guy who has uh, been losing spots in the ADP. He's lost about 32 spots, gone down from 206 to 238. Are you buying on Shohei Otani at this reduced price? I kind of think I have to. I mean, honestly, it's I mean, like you, you don't have these... to. I don't know, man. It's just... I've never, I've never had him anywhere because the price has always been much more higher than I'm willing to pay. But anytime a guy drops, I, I kind of feel like I have to take a, a, a shot here. And he always wanted. I would prefer he just focus on hitting. I mean, I know what he's, pay, I know what he's capable of as, as pitcher. But you know, you look at what he's done, what he's done as a part time hitter uh, at his age as a part time hitter, two sixty nine. 126 RC, uh, WRC plus. It's like, yeah, his numbers got pulled down last year. I mean, he 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 was not good last year. Let's face he it, awful. he was not good. Even though he wasn't good, he still had seven home runs. He still had seven steals, but he hurt you everywhere else. Uh, and so he was able to get that. But again, what he's done while he has not given 100 percent of his the focus on hitting has been fantastic, and that just speaks to his natural abilities. And so, yeah, if I can get back, if if I can get his level of production of what he's able to do pre-injury, uh, you know, 151 and 123 WRC plus in 18 and 19. Uh, if I could get back, I don't, I don't think, I think his rookie year kind of was the high bar, honestly, right now. Uh, and now the, he, he may hit for more power uh, as, as he starts focusing on this. But if I can get back closer to that, I'm willing to buy in. I'm kind of surprised. Maybe this is where recency bias plays in, but for him to drop two rounds, uh, I, I'm. It has my attention. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is interesting because um, uh, Savant is only showing his pitching. <laughs> so this is not, not super helpful because I, I don't think of him as a pitcher. Like, I, I think of him as a hitter in terms of what I care about for my fantasy team. Because while, I mean, if he can do both and do, well, do both uh, as well as we've seen him pitch and hit... I mean, he is a borderline first-round talent in daily moves leagues. Like, it's just, I mean, if you could get a guy who's a top 30 pitcher uh, and a top, you know, 30 hitter on your team and get to be able to move him around, uh, I mean, he, he is a borderline first-round talent. I, I just don't know that it's ever going to come together or that it will come together in, in 2021. 20, uh, um, th that being said, like, this price isn't bad at all no it's not it's i mean we're talking about in terms of hitters he's going around austin hayes uh hunter dozier uh john birdie i mean i like john birdie um but uh i just don't hmm. though nfpc is only showing him as pitcher eligible which is weird i would think he would be um that's got to be a mistake uh <sighs> I think I will probably get him on a few teams, but he's just not someone I'm targeting. Because I, I assume he's going to be UT only again as well, which yes. there's so many guys that are going to be UT only this year that, um, you know, you obviously, if you if you take a Nelson Cruz, if you take a, a Jordan Alvarez, uh, if you take a, um, a J.D. Martinez, he pretty much drops off your board because you can't roster two. UT only guys, but if you miss out on those guys, that's not a bad gamble to take because the upside is so huge. And if you're one of those people, and there are a lot of people out there that believe, oh, you know, when I start getting outside of pick 200, it's all about up, uh, upside. I mean, there's no bigger upside in the game than Shohei Otani. He's only 26 years old. Yeah, one thing the good point you raised on the uh, the guy, how many guys are eligible at UT only? I mean, NFBC doesn't have Otani shown there right now, but. Here are the guy. Here are names that are just UT only going into drafts this year. You're Don Alvarez, and this is an ADP order, by the way. Alvarez, Nelson Cruz, JD Martinez, Giancarlo Stanton, Fran Mil Reyes, Miguel Cabrera. Now Miguel, and that's the drop off. Fran Mil Reyes ADP is 143. Miguel Cabrera is 470. That's the difference in the ADP uh, for that. But then we got Chris Davis, Edwin Encarnacion. Um, I don't even want to talk about Cespedes. I don't think it's worth mentioning. Uh, <laughs> Howie Kendrick. So, I mean, there are a lot of names uh, that you have to, uh, and if you're a home league, like uh, one of my home leagues, that is a, posi uh, that is a position. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it, yeah, you had, that's where you have to look at it and say, okay, Hey, this is, this is where it gets interesting because there, there was a lot of names this year. So it's like, and even your, and I think it's personally, kind of crazy that Jordan Alvarez coming off the lost year is the highest ranked of all those guys. Yeah. And, um, yeah, no, that, that is a little weird. Uh, if you go to my article that I, I referenced, uh, earlier about the multi-positionable, multi-positional eligible players, uh, and where their eligibility is. Um, I also included a table of UT only guys because that list only grows when you're talking about, uh, 20 games or 10 games uh, mm -hmm. played a, as your eligibility. Uh, and even including guys like, um, like for instance, Yahoo is a five-game eligi eligibility. Ty France is 
eligible at first, second, and third in Yahoo, uh, and what we assume Yahoo is going to do for, for their eligibility uh, is stick at five games. But in 20 games, he's UT only. Like, yeah. and so then there are a few of those and players. Wilmer Flores. Yeah, yeah, and Wilmer <laughs> Flores, another guy. Double eligible at first and second in most formats. Uh, but 20 games, UT only. So uh, if you're if you're playing in, in different formats um, with different eligibility requirements, definitely go check that out. Um, let's uh, let's go ahead and move on over and talk about uh, we're going to talk about Tristan McKenzie, and he, this is a bit surprising to me that he is actually dropping right now. Uh, he was at pick 125, now at pick 153. What are your thoughts on Tristan McKenzie? Yeah, I don't I don't know what would cause the drop unless you're worried that Paul Sporer physical uh, <laughs> specimen can't hold up over the course of a full season, which you have a, you know, which is a legitimate concern. I mean, again, Tristan McKenzie looks like a bat boy uh, when he goes up there. He's just very lean, but then he releases the baseball. You're like, oh, yeah, that's why this guy is really good. Uh, and so that's where, I, you know, this uh, as Stuff wise, absolutely. I mean, I like it. I just don't know why what you've seen in the news that has caused you to say, okay, I can't take this guy here right now. I think it's kind of just a course correction. I think he was just going way too high um, early on in drafts. And I think now he's starting to be a little bit more uh, appropriately ranked. Because, I mean, there is a long injury history with this guy because he's so thin. Um, I mean, he didn't pitch at all in 2019, uh, you know, because of injury, uh, yeah. only, only through 90, uh, and two thirds in 2018. Um, I mean, how many innings can we project him for the depth chart and steamers both have him at 127. Is that a guy that you want to be taking in the top 125? I, I don't think it is. And so, uh, moving him down. Uh, you know, outside the top 150 makes a lot of sense to me, especially when, I mean, now he's going around pitchers like Patrick Corbin and Joe Musgrove and Dustin May. Um, that seems like a better, you know, Charlie Morton going, you know, 158. Um, like, that just seems like a better spot. I like Tristan McKenzie as a raw talent. And if we were playing MLB The Show and we could turn injuries off, um, I think we would be talking about a guy with... Uh, extreme amount of upside. Uh, I just don't know that I trust him in a longer season. Yeah, and when you look at the type of pitcher you're trying to take there, it's like when you look at look at names behind him: Gossman, Gonzalez, and these are starters. I'm just skipping over relievers: Gossman, Gonzalez, Musgrove, Corbin, May, Clevenger, who's going to miss a lot of time if if he even pitches. Uh, He's done. No, he's not. He's yeah, just on there because yeah. fifty-seven. Yeah, yeah, because he's done. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Morton, like, and Charlie Morton's at one sixty, and McKenzie's at one forty. So that's about a round in a twelve-teamer. But I don't see a world where I'm taking McKenzie over Charlie Morton. Your boy Chris Bassett going one eighty-four. Or Mike Soroka coming back off a Achilles tear. Tyler Molly, my other boy. Uh, you know, Christian, uh, Christian Javier, Aaron Savali. It's like, I'd rather have Savali than McKenzie just because of the concerns about workload. Uh, and so you have to wonder, I mean, we, we talk about the concerns of workload with pitchers, you know, okay, Hey, you didn't, 
especially the minor league guys, the minor league guys who didn't get into anything other than workouts and games uh, last year. But we're talking about a guy who did not pitch in 2019, only pitched a little bit in 2020, and then we're just going to pencil him in for 127. You said is what he's projected and for 2021, and not be concerned that a guy that's five foot nothing and a hundred nothing may show signs of wearing down. That's a that that's a high risk to get up there. Uh, I like I like the talent. I like the long term talent, but there are many many names behind him that I'm more interested at at the price. Did you say Tristan McKenzie's five foot nothing? Because he's six yeah. five. No, you know what I'm saying. Small. I'm <laughs> going to small. I know he's tall and skinny. Yeah, I mean, he's tall. He's Paul's body double. Yeah. Uh, so, but six, I'm just saying we list him as six. A, he's a very lean, mm-hmm. lean individual. Yeah, I mean he's. He's listed at six five one sixty. Yeah, uh, I mean, and I I, I think one sixty might even be pushing it a little bit. So I was six four and one sixty as a sophomore in high school, <laughs> <laughs> and I was super skinny. So yeah, I've I've never been six four, <laughs> and it's been a long time since I was one sixty. I, th- I think I think the last time I was one sixty. Uh, was maybe like out of boot camp. Like I think that was the last time I was 160 pounds. Um, all right, let's uh, let's move on to talk about uh, uh, another raised corner guy. That's Wander Franco, um, and he is been dropping. He's dropped about 25 spots from 200 to 225. This is interesting because typically guys like Franco shoot up the draft board. Uh, and shoot up the ADP because people want to get the next thing. And he seems like the next thing, the top prospect in all of baseball on your raise. What are your thoughts on Wander Franco? I think the impact is just the the recent injury, the injury thing with mm-hmm. the bicep. They took him out of the DR. They brought him back to the U.S. The fact that they had to bring him to the U.S. for the, the, for the um, examination raised red flags for folks. Now, I don't, I haven't seen any news that says this is what this is. I mean, if you've seen him, I I was speculating with somebody else uh, offline that said, you know, hey, this probably something from the gym. I mean, you look at him and he doesn't look like a, he, you know, he is Yandy Diaz light. I mean, he's, he's big uh, and, and, and that regard. And so I, I, based on that, I understand why people are sliding him down, not to mention, you know, He's not coming up a moment before a service time dictates it. It's just the way the club does things. I, I I wish it were different. I wish he could make the opening day roster. And because you you look at the opening day roster, and he's easily one of the three best guys on the roster. But you know how this team runs. Uh, and that's, that's the way it's going to be. And so I think even where he is going now, even going in the low 220s, honestly, for me, still too high. Um. So here's here's one of the things that's interesting to me, uh, and this is something that Matt Thompson pointed out to me, uh, because it's it's hard to kind of get the uh, the launch angles on kind of minor league guys. You know what Wander Franco's launch angle is? Six point nine degrees. Uh, one point two degrees. Hey, so Yanni Diaz is pretty good confident. <laughs> <laughs> um. That's a bit concerning. Now, I mean, he obviously, I'm sure the the, the Razor Smart organization, um, they will work with him on that. Uh, but I mean, we're talking about a guy that I don't know. I mean, I don't know that he's gonna have a show plus power in the majors, anyways. I mean, he's all about hit tool, right? 
but he got to show some power and, and a launch angle of 1.2 degrees is, is a bit concerning i think i'm selling on wander franco right now um and i think you can still get him or you can still uh you can still sell him for just an absolute uh haul in dynasty leagues right now uh obviously being the number one overall prospect you can sell him for a massive haul i mean again yeah. number one overall prospect that's not even up for debate mm -hmm. and he's still not even 20 years old yeah and yeah and, and he's to close to the majors at, and to look at what he's done i mean he was in there was serious talk about him making the postseason roster last year mm -hmm. that's uh, this and that's how yeah, close they, they made a world series jersey for him yes and he was working out and he was on the taxi squad and everything even at his age we're still talking about a guy who has more career walks than strikeouts uh, and he's got a uh, he's got uh, the time in a ball but again you know you know what he's capable of and I get if you want to everybody should be movable everybody mm -hmm. I don't have him anywhere I just because wonder nobody ever lets me get him <laughs> is he gonna be one of those guys that are a much better real life player than fantasy player. Like, I don't think so. You don't think so? No, I think he's going to be insanely good, and when he gets to be really, really good, he's not going to be wearing a Tampa Bay uniform. <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate for you, buddy. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, in terms of like this year, I don't think I'm gonna. I don't think I'm gonna invest. I mean, I mean, his max pick is three thirty. I mean, if if we're talking about like there, like sure, why not? Uh, I don't. I just don't know that I. I don't know that I'm going to put him in my top two hundred draft picks. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, looking. I mean, obviously, it's early twenty six drafts. People are throwing lots of darts because the guy behind him on ADP is Chris Sale. And again, I don't understand that at all. Yeah, no, I, I not yeah. at all. And, and the news there has been any good news about that offseason, but uh, Rich Rodriguez. Leody Tavares, Michael Pineda, James McCann, Matt Barnes, Mike Myers. There's Otani. It's like people are, are uh, Otani's going around later mm -hmm. than the possibility of a Wander Franco. Again, at that price, give me Otani. Uh, Corey Kluber, no thanks. Um, Austin Hayes. Can I Chris ask? So it's not like there's a lot of there's not like a lot of attention. Just so many question marks. I mean, I get why some people are there, but there's a lot of there's a lot that could go wrong. You could end up holding the bag at the end of May, going, "But I drafted Wander Franco at 220. Why isn't he being called up?" Yeah, I mean, with Rays, you just don't know. I mean, I assume though, like once he's up, he, like he's up to play. Um, yeah, that's what that's what they're normally good for. Once they call the dude up, he's up to play. But again, you take a look at where what he plays it's like are they what are they going to do with adamas what are they going to do with brandon lau that's the up the middle i mean i guess you move lau into the outfield right sure and you play either adamas or franco at um at you know second you play one of them at right. second and uh, you got wendell you move move adamas the third i don't know i mean they have a glut of middle infield types. Obviously, he leads it, but they have a glut of this uh, type. Xavier Edwards, uh, you know, they they have these types. They've got uh, Vidal Bruhan. Mm -hmm. They've got a number of dudes that they got to make. I like Bruhan a lot too. Like I yeah, think I think Bruhan is going to be a fantasy star um, at some point. So, all right, um, let's go ahead and move on over to Sixto Sanchez. Uh, again, I think this is. A similar conversation um, or, or reason uh, that he is moving um, down the ADP. He's moved down 24 spots from 91 to 115. Uh, 
I think it's similar to Tristan McKenzie where this is just a course correction that he was going too high to begin with, and now he's starting mm-hmm. to come back down to earth. But what are your thoughts on Sixto Sanchez? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, obviously, the stuff's awesome. You, you you got to watch him pitch last year. It's It was so much fun to watch. Uh, really good stuff, but you know what the risk profile can be for youngsters going through. I mean, let's not, you know, obviously, it's Sixto Sanchez. It's Miami. You're going to go Jose Fernandez, Miami. Go back and look at Fernandez. Go back and look at his second year. He got hurt. That's when he went on test. What he had to go have TJ surgery. If 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 my timeline is correct, but I believe you know debuted awesome. Then he got hurt in year two. Now I'm sure people will say, Jason, you're wrong. That's not exactly what happened. But that's how I remember things. And so I want to look it up real quick because that's how my uh, let's see awesome rookie year. Yeah, he got hurt. In his year. He got hurt that year. So I was right. Because he only had eight games the second year. Uh, and then he uh, then he came back and pitched 11 and 15. So, yeah, that is how that played out. But you look, you you go back and look at some of the guys that are going in front of him. Zach Greinke, rebound Chris Paddock. I'm honestly surprised Paddock's as high as he is, given the, the issues uh, that he struggled with last year. Dylan Bundy's resurgent. Julio Urias in whatever role he's going to have. Jesus Lizard, Kyle Hendricks, Jose Barrios. Those are the guys that are in front of him and behind him. Rossiel Iglesias, Brad Hand, James Krinchak, Pablo Lopez, Lance McCullers Jr. So it's like he he's I like him where he's slotted now. I do too. But then but then how about this though? Uh Sanchez where he's going, or David Price with a year off, mm-hmm. basically three full rounds later. I thought you were and I think, pitching for the world champs. Yeah, I thought you were gonna say someone else, but I think I'd take David Price there. Um just I mean, just based on the team he's pitching in. Mm-hmm. Or pitching for, uh, and, and you know, moving to the National League. Um, though I mean, we assume the National League will have the DH, but still, I'd rather him pitch for the Dodgers in the NL West than for the Red Sox in the AL East. Um, I mean, the I, the guy I thought you were going to mention was Frankie Montas. Like I, I just I, I still have Frankie Montas above Sixto Sanchez. I like Sixto, and I think this is a more appropriate spot. Uh, but, um, yeah, I just, I think he was, I mean, cause he was going around, what, what did I say he was going? He's got a high of 63. High of 63. Wow. I mean, there's going to be people who, who are all in, but high of 63 puts you up there with Lance Lynn, uh, Sonny Gray and Denelson Lamette. And that, yeah, that I mean, other guys that have right. gone, other guys that have gone in that range, Framber Valdez, uh, Urias Carrasco. There's a 61. Strasburg mm-hmm. is a high of 58. Corbin, a high of 58. Ian yeah. Anderson has a high of 66. Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, people are, people are always stoked on the next thing. You know, a guy comes in, has a hot start, and pe- there are going to be people that push them up, up the, uh, up the ADP for sure. And then you get the draft on it. This is where it gets interesting to me. Jacob Degrom has a has a low pick of fifteen, a high of three. Yeah, no, I I took him second overall uh, in uh, Fantrax best ball league I'm doing right now. Okay, I, I just I was like, how does he go? Eh, okay, high of three, low of like, how does how do you go? Maybe it's a bunch of guys that are like, okay, I'm drafting offense first. Yeah, and that's how he ends up going fifteenth overall. But like, if mm-hmm. I'm if I'm sitting there eight through fourteen, it's like, how do I pass on this? How do I pass on this? How do I pass on this? Talk me out of this. I mean, there, there's no reason for DeGrom to fall into double digits. No. And I mean, which is, 
which is crazy considering his ADP is 9.23 right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean... So, so again, like, pick 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. This is, like, I would like to hear from one of those guys. Like, mm-hmm. you know... How, did you even debate it, or were you locked in? It's like, okay, I have this is the hitter I'm taking. If he's there, I'm taking him, and you just didn't care. This is why I've been saying, like, I want to draft in the middle of a draft. Like, I, I want to be in a 15 team league. I want to be, you know, seven, eight, nine. Like, want to be in one of those spots. By ADP, if you look at it, you know, by those spots, this is by this is by rank. I'm not looking at ADP, but Yelich, Freeman, Bellinger, Lindor, Bichette, Machado are nine to fourteen. Mm-hmm. Those are your hitters in that range. Yeah, and Bellinger's going to drop too with the, with the news about his shoulder surgery. Mm-hmm. Like I, um, I haven't seen. I'm sure he's dropped a little bit already, but he he's. Uh, I want to say in this best ball league we're doing, he went in the third round. And it's a twelve teamer. Wow. Yeah, uh, but yeah. still. Uh, all right, uh, let's finish up with Marco Gonzalez. He's dropped twenty spots, and uh, of the of the ADP losers that we're talking about, the guys who are dropping, uh, these six are the guys who have dropped um, twenty or more spots uh, in the top. I think I did two fifty. Um, he's gone from pick one thirty two to one fifty two. What are your thoughts on Marco Gonzalez? I think we talked last week. Um, about the, the the contact suppressor group for the the piece that Alex Chase did, uh, or maybe Alexander Chase, I don't know which one he goes by, uh, a pitcher list. But Marco Gonzalez is like right there at the top of, of those types of pitchers. It's like everything he throws is below average as far as velocity is concerned. Uh, and even movement. You know, you look at a StatCat page and you're like, how? But then elite walk rate just doesn't walk dudes. And then contact uh, suppression, you look at his exit velocity, is in the top 20th percentile. It's like, for a guy that throws so much average, he makes it work. And pitching in Seattle really helps, uh, has, has helped him. And so it's like, and getting back to, he's going to pitch every day. Yeah, I, I, liked, I liked what I saw from him last year. You know, he really started to say, okay, I'm going to throw more sinkers. And it got away from some of his other stuff, really uh, shelved his changeup and said, you know what? I'm going to work on, on moving the ball around and then use the changeup as needed. It went from his second most popular pitch to his fourth last year, uh, the way he utilized things. And so that was that was rather intriguing to watch him work in and out and just get into that He's not Jamie Moyer, but he's getting there. That's his career path. Is is the Jamie Moyer path? I don't know if he's going to be able to hang around the league uh, long enough. By the way, he's only twenty. He turns twenty nine in February, mm-hmm. so it feels like he's been around the league longer than that, and that he's older than that. I mean, we'll recall that he lost. Uh, you know, he had the cutter and, uh, with the Cardinals. They wanted to take it away from him. Then he got hurt. Then he had the TJ surgery. Ended up back in Seattle, uh, and has been productive overall but then last year by changing his pit his pitch next year had career best strikeout rate and again he just doesn't walk guys so it's not sexy but it's effective mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's it's a kitchen sink kind of profile it's like he, he he's gonna keep you guessing on what you're gonna throw or what he's gonna throw so uh, i i was surprised by what his adp was early on and this seems much more reasonable in terms of where he's going. Uh, and I think now starts to kind of offer a little bit of a buying opportunity um, when you're talking about 
uh, you know, pitchers going around him. Hey, the aforementioned Tristan McKenzie um, going right behind him. Joe Musgrove going right ahead of him. Like, I think that's kind of a perfect spot for him. Uh, I, I mean, I know people, like, tend to avoid guys like this because they're afraid that regression is going to come pretty hard. I think at this point we're talking about a guy who's who's showing these skills uh, to be what they are. He's not a guy who's going to get you a ton of strikeouts, but he did have 200-plus innings in 2019. Mm-hmm. So no reason to think that if we did get a full season, he couldn't get back to that. Um, right. And I think the, the tough part, you know, when you start, when you look at him and say, okay, what's, uh, where are things, where are things going to fall? And you look at batting average against last year for his pitches. So sinker and cutter, his two most popular pitches, uh, more frequently used pitches, his sinker 195 average last year, but an expected at 257. Then his cutter 188 with an expected at 239. So if you're talking about those are the pitches he basically throws 70% of the time, and there is a pretty big gap between the actual and the expected. So I can see where some folks are uh, a bit concerned and say, okay, hey, look here. But again, this is one of the better content suppressors. And I would throw like uh, Ryan Yarbrough in that same mix, another guy who has a bunch of average at best stuff, but outpitches what they're able to do because of that. If you can't miss bats, the the next best thing is to miss just the barrel of the bat uh, and do what you can to to avoid that. And and Gonzalez and, and Yarbrough are two guys that really make that work. They're uh, but the, I think the difference there on on Gonzalez was just the surprise and strikeout rate last year. I mean, he in eighteen he was at twenty one percent, but he's always been like that high teens, and then all of a sudden he pulls a twenty three percent last year. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm right with you. I think I think Gonzalez is one of those guys where. <sighs> He, I mean, he is, uh, he's not a guy that anybody's going to be targeting on draft day. But he is a guy that I think is going to, you know, pitch a lot of innings and really kind of be a sta- uh, stabilizer for your ratios. Um, and while those guys aren't sexy, uh, I think th- those guys can be extremely valuable, especially if we're talking about in deeper formats. All right, mm-hmm. that is going to wrap us up for this episode. Jason, why don't you tell people what you got going on? Uh, I am wrapping up vacation today, uh, and I have uh, not done as much as I would hope to over this past <laughs> week, but that's okay. The house is decorated for Christmas. It looks great. Uh, mostly my wife doing most of it. I had to get the stuff out of the attic, bring all the boxes down, that kind of stuff. And Yeah, so back to the grind this week. Uh, right now I'm focused on a lot on the Rotowire uh, draft guide, so writing a bunch of the profiles uh, and writing the seventh annual edition of the value in the scrap heap article that uh, has had a pretty good rate of success in identifying, hey, last year's garbage could be this year's success. So working on that. And uh, what about you? Uh, I mean, just writing and podcasting, getting ready to like kind of do the Friends of Fantasy Benefits draft guide, um, drafting a lot. So uh, I got, I think uh, I'm going to do a market watch, uh, ADP market watch article over on fan graphs that should come out either weekly or every other week, kind of depending on how much things are moving week to week uh, here. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, recording with Paul, recording Friends of Fantasy Benefits. Uh, gonna start recording the TGFBI podcast again here shortly. So yeah, catch uh, catch pretty much catch all my work over at uh, on Twitter at at Justin Mason FWFB. You can catch uh, Jason over on Twitter at Jason Collette. 
uh, you can join the Sleeper in the Bust Facebook group, uh, which is beginning a lot of people at I've it. I've noticed that. Recently. Um, I keep getting the alerts like, hey, this person wants to join. I, I have, I'd let you guys do that because, quite honestly, I'm not sure it's, who's it's real and who's spamming. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't think Paul's really on Facebook very often, but a pretty big group over there. I want to say like 1,500, 2,000 people uh, in that group. Uh, so, um, yeah, definitely uh, hop in there. Uh, and hopefully going to be uh, kind of announcing a few new things here in the near future as I finish up my last semester of school and we'll have more time in I the new year. Hey, I got a, a trivia question here Ooh, uh, because I was I was looking through based on uh, thousand pitches thrown over the last three years, thousand pitches. Who has the lowest average exit velocity over 2018 and 2020? 2018, 2020, lowest average exit velocity. Man, I'm going to... This is that not pitches thrown, but pitches put in play. I'm going to... I'm, I'm, I'm going to be completely off. Is it Dallas Keuchel? No, it's Ryan Yarbrough. Oh. I 84.6 miles an hour. Because I, I was trying to compare him to where he ranked with uh, with Marco Gonzalez, but Marco Gonzalez is 88. Now he's done a better job. At, uh, you know, 18 was a little rough, but 19 and 20 were better. But yeah, Ryan Yarbrough has the lowest average exit velocity. Mm. 1,018 pitch sample, 84.6. That puts him with Kenley Jansen, who's uh, about a third of the pitches at 84.7. Ed Edu because Ed, 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 education. Edu Brave Ramos, uh, lowest 84 flat, over 160 pitches put in play. Max Fried uh, on that list too. Interesting. So, yeah, fun hmm. stuff. All right. I well, wonder how maybe we'll get some more news here because coming out since the, there is no winter meetings. They can do it virtual. They can pretty much do anything at any time. So um, I just think we'll that means there's going to be less less news coming out because people won't be talking at the bar. That's true. So, so uh, everything, everything will be a surprise. Yeah, it's 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 gonna be really frustrating. Is what I think it is, especially someone uh, like myself who's doing a draft guide, trying to figure out who's gonna be on what teams, yeah, um, yeah. is <laughs> just a nightmare. So I only had I had uh, my first batch of seventy five profiles. I only had to adjust two so far. Oh, that's <laughs> so. well, that's because nobody signed. <laughs> <laughs> I had to redo uh, um, Drew Smiley and uh, Morton. Trying to think of the other. Charlie Morton? No, I didn't. Morton wasn't in mine. Uh, but I, there was two I had to adjust because of uh, somebody was a surprise release. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, that person was cut? Okay. R Renato <laughs> so, Nunez? Uh, yes, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. All right. Well, that it will wrap us up uh, for this episode. For Jason myself, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. See you guys.